Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Cancer in Iowa remains persistent, but thankfully, more Iowans are surviving the disease and fewer are dying from it. This entire hour, we'll spend examining some of the highlights from the 2023 Cancer in Iowa report from the Iowa Cancer Registry, known as the ICR. This year, the ICR marks 50 years of collecting and disseminating cancer information here in Iowa. It has produced annual reports on cancer in the state since 1991. In just a few minutes, we'll hear from the director of the ICR, also some cancer researchers from the University of Iowa, and we'll find out which types of cancer are on the increase in the state and and where we've seen some real success in terms of prevention and treatment. But first of all, let's hear from one of the many, many cancer survivors in our state. Diane Anderson joins us now. She's a retired teacher from Cedar Falls and a breast cancer patient and survivor. Diane, welcome to our program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I I emphasize many, many cancer survivors. Thankfully, there are many now these days. Um, Years ago, that wasn't the case, and that's really a joy that we can talk about throughout the hour. But also, Diane, a little bit later in your story, I understand you were instrumental in organizing a, a recent cancer cluster investigation, and we'll find out about that in a moment. But start us off by telling us how your breast cancer was discovered and when you were diagnosed. Okay. Well, in September of 2020, I was diagnosed with triple negative metaplastic breast cancer. This was after I discovered a small lump under my arm, which was really rare, I thought, because I didn't realize that breast tissue went back that far. I have really no history of breast cancer in my family, and I believe only one. I had a grandparent in the 1950s that died of esophageal cancer. I believe that's the only cancer I have in my family. I always did self-exams. I never missed my annual mammogram since age 35 when they recommend to start doing it. After I discovered that lump, I called my, I kind of just thought I had maybe some swollen glands and uh, maybe getting a cold. So I called my family doctor and and got in and, and he thought, it wasn't his expertise, but he said, let's, let's get you in early for your mammogram. He got me in for my mammogram and they called right away and said, this looks suspicious. So I did have to wait a few days and he got me into the head of the breast care center in Waterloo with Dr. Gesme for a biopsy. When I went in for that biopsy, and this was still like mid-September, when he was doing the biopsy, he said, you know, I do 2,500 of these a year, which I thought was alarming and just in Blackhawk County. And he said, this doesn't look good. And so I was devastated. Just, I just really was, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hit me like a brick wall. I then, then that was sent to pathology. When it came back from pathology, being the triple negative, they didn't know it was this metaplastic, which is a really rare type of breast cancer. I believe it's less than 1% of breast cancers are metaplastic. So since this was a really aggressive and fast-growing cancer, they got me in for treatment right away. Mm-hmm. I went through five months of 
chemo infusion. Well, first I had to have a port um, surgically put in. And then they started me on five months of chemo infusions. Then I ha- after the chemo, um, which was pretty rough, I had to wait a month to kind of heal my body up. And then I had surgery to remove the tumor. Diane, had it, had it spread to other parts of your body? It had not. And so I'm, I'm so fortunate. The tumor was uh, uh, just a little over a centimeter, so it wasn't very big. And caught it early. When they caught it early. And when they removed it, they saw that it did not uh, shrink. Now, it didn't shrink, but it also didn't grow. So I just have a little bit of hope that maybe some of that horridness that I went through with chemo maybe stopped it from growing. But when he removed it, then I got the report back from pathology a week after the surgery, and it showed clear margins and no spread. So that was great news. But they still put me through 25 rounds of radiation after the surgery. And then since it was such an aggressive cancer, they then put me on six months of an oral chemo, which was also pretty rough. And I understand you're cancer-free. You have been cancer-free for how long now? Uh, I am. It will be two years, April 1st. Well, congratulations. We we wish that Thank to you. Remain, <laughs> remain the status yeah. for a long time. And let's get into the second, another part of this story, because this is also interesting Tell us about your how your work with the Iowa Cancer Registry started and, and this recent cancer cluster investigation. What needed to be investigated? What did you alert the uh, registry to? Well, it was in late August of 2022. I was just chatting with another cancer survivor from the school that I taught with, and we were talking about, well, gosh, Several other teachers now have been, in the last few years, have been diagnosed with breast cancer, That, and we all taught in the same building. And then she told me in late August, this, this past August, that a young teacher in her 30s who had taught in Hudson for seven years was just diagnosed with breast cancer. We started counting then. It's like, oh, my goodness. So that brought the number up to 12 of us diagnosed with breast cancer in 10 years. And actually, Mm -hmm. there are 13 because after this hit the news, another teacher that had moved on to another district came forward and disclosed that she also um, was diagnosed. So there's actually 13 of us within 10 years. And Hudson is a very small district. I think there's probably 65 maximum teachers. I now, just want to make clarify, you lived in Cedar Falls, but you, you had been teaching in Hudson before you retired. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And several of us did not live in Hudson. We all taught in Hudson, but lived in surrounding communities. And so I just thought, my goodness, that's a huge number for such a small district. So I was just thinking, I don't, I don't know what I can do, but this just doesn't sound right. And I did mention it to my oncologist, and I believe he's the one that, that recommended that maybe I call the, county, the Blackhawk County Health Department. So I did that, and they were so helpful and, and really listened. And I explained the situation. They referred me to the state health department. After I told the state health department about this, they then thought it was alarming also. And they put me in touch with Dr. Michelle West at the University of Iowa Cancer Registry. And after I provided her with the information, she got right back to me. She was just wonderful. 
after I provided her with the information I had about all of us, she just worked continuously with me, kind of guiding me on the next steps to what she felt was warranted in doing a cancer cluster correlation investigation. So, so tell us briefly about what, what was involved in the, in the investigation. Sure. You know, I gave her as much information as I could about disclosing names. And then she told me that the best bet is I'm going to have to get in touch with the superintendent and we'll work together with him and provide all the necessary information about each staff member, not just the members that had the diagnosis of cancer, but all of the staff. And so I contacted the superintendent and met with him, oh gosh, probably five or six times. A couple times we did a Zoom with with Dr. West also, and we had to provide just a lot of personal information about the staff. And that's what made it somewhat difficult because he he was, I think, put in kind of a tough position, not knowing what actually he could provide um, without violating privacy. And so that, that put a little bit of a stop to some of it being able to be conclusive. In a, in a nutshell, Diane, what did the investigation reveal? Anything conclusive? Well, they said that it, it could not be that a cancer cluster could not be ruled out. They didn't actually find a cluster, but it could not be ruled out because they were missing pieces of information. And I felt like a a big piece of information they were missing, and I did try on this. I, I don't know what the superintendent did, but I know I tried. They needed a comparison school, and one was not provided. And what, what Dr. West explained to me was that they had to do it just a just an area instead of a workplace. And she said, that's a little bit tougher. And so they compared it to Cedar Falls. And what one thing they did find, though, was that in, so the, I, I just feel like this really raised awareness for all cancers, because what they did find is that in the city of Hudson, it had an elevated amount of men diagnosed with prostate cancer compared to the city of Cedar Falls. Diane, a fascinating story. And very quickly before we say goodbye, I wonder how being diagnosed with cancer, now being a cancer survivor, and being involved with this investigation has changed you as a person. Oh, yeah, it really has. been the toughest two years of my life. Um, I bet. I... Sorry. Take your time. I learned that cancer does not discriminate. It attacks anyone. Um, I feel like I've become kind of a prisoner of fear, but I'm trying really hard um, to overcome that with gratitude and strength and hope because otherwise I really can't live that life that I fought so hard to save. Yeah. And and you've helped uh, in pursuing this and trying to find out if anything is going on in the community with these you know, this cancer cluster investigation you you're helping others. So and thank you for telling your story, early discovery sure. through a self-examination Diane 
You may have helped others just in hearing that story. Early discovery of cancer is so, so important. And uh, we appreciate you being on our show to tell your story, Diane. All the best to you in the future. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me. And thank you so much for helping bring more awareness and knowledge to this important issue. I so appreciate it. Diane Anderson, a retired teacher, taught in Hudson, uh, lives in Cedar Falls, a breast cancer survivor, and as you just heard, instrumental in organizing a recent cancer cluster investigation. Thank you again, Diane. Thank you. Coming up after a short break, we'll examine this year's Cancer in Iowa report. Several cancer specialists will join us. It's River to River from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion including Above and Beyond Cancer. We're back with more of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. This hour, examining the latest Cancer in Iowa report for 2023. Uh, this year, as a matter of fact, marks um, the uh, 50 years of collecting, disseminating cancer information in Iowa by the uh, Iowa Cancer Registry. It's produced annual reports since the early 1990s, and uh, such detailed reports will find out how they can be incredibly useful uh, in uh, further research and uh, lowering mortality rates all kinds of things, treatment, diagnosis, and so forth. Joining us uh, for the remainder of the hour, Mary Charlton is with us, uh, Associate Professor of Epidemiology, Director of the State Health Registry of Iowa and Iowa Cancer Registry uh, at the University of Iowa. Mary, welcome back to our program. Thank you so much for having me again. Dr. George Wiener is with us in our studio as well, uh, Director of the University of Iowa Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center. Dr. Wiener, welcome back to you. Glad to be here. And Dr. Ingrid Lizaraga. She is a breast cancer surgeon, clinical associate professor and uh, uh, at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Uh, Dr. Lizaraga, welcome to you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I want to definitely dig into this latest report, but I want to talk about the case we just heard of the breast cancer survivor, uh, and I want to reach out to our listeners. before that to say, you know, there are, it's incredible to think in this report, over 164,000 cancer survivors currently living in Iowa, according to this data. If you're one of those, uh, join us with your questions, uh, perhaps just to share your cancer survival story. Or if you have a question about cancer research, treatment, or prevention, 1-866-780-9100. 1-866-780-9100, or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, Mary, can I ask you to comment on that recent cancer cluster investigation we heard described there by Diane Anderson of Cedar Falls? Uh, she brought what seemed to be a high number of cancer cases within a certain area, in this case Hudson, Iowa, to the attention of state medical authorities. The the findings were inconclusive. Tell us how that investigation works and, and in this case, how it arrived at the findings it did. Mm-hmm, sure. 
So as Diane mentioned, it was a particularly challenging cancer cluster investigation for us because typically people are calling and saying, I think people in my town or in my county have a higher level of cancer or higher rate of cancer. In this case, it was a work site that she was concerned about. And people, as she said, people who work in the Hudson schools don't all live in Hudson. They come from Cedar Falls and lots of the surrounding areas. So what we didn't have in that is a denominator because at the registry, we keep track of all cancer cases, but we don't know who worked where, when. So we needed a roster, essentially, of all the people who had worked in the Hudson School District from 2010 to 2020, which was the period we were looking at. So it was challenging to get that. Um, I think they did the best they could with the the privacy privacy kind of restrictions they were under to give us names of those people. And then we had to match them to the registry, to the cancer cases. And that's hard to do it just Sounds like a lot of work. It it was. (laughs) It definitely was. Um, So then we compared that, uh, the experience of the Hudson employees to the Hudson zip code, the Dyke zip code, and the Cedar Falls zip code, because they all had kind of different similarities to that population. And and one thing that also made it tricky is that um, all teachers have bachelor's degrees, have college degrees. And that means um, that often people with college degrees delay having children a little bit longer, and that is a risk factor for breast cancer. Mm. So it's one of those times where education, higher education, is actually a risk factor. So we had to account for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so this investigation did not point to any uh, cause of cancer um, as um, it, it investigated. I wonder when you how many of these en- type of uh, cancer cluster investigations take place in the state, uh, and and when we have findings, how often do they have conclusive findings that there is something uh, that is suspected of causing cancer in a community or a workspace? Mm-hmm. Well, not many um, in terms of finding uh, conclusive results. We've done about 150 cancer cluster investigations since the early 90s. Only two of those have we found really strong statistical evidence of a cluster uh, and notified the Centers for Disease Control. Um, And in one of them, they sent investigators out. It was to Wellman back in the 90s uh, Mm -hmm. for a potential brain cancer cluster. And even after interviewing all the survivors and their families, um, still were unable to figure out a conclusive cause for that cluster. Mm-hmm. What should a listener do if someone right now is saying, uh, I know of a possible case that I think mm-hmm. should be investigated, uh, as Diane Anderson did? Well, what is the first step to take? Yeah, well, if they just Google Iowa Cancer Registry, we come right up and there's some contact information there um, to, to get them to us. And we can we are happy to kind of explore what the issues are, what they, what types of cancers they're concerned about or exposures, and then work with them to come up with appropriate control areas so we can really compare the experience of their area with another one. Okay. So search for Iowa Cancer Registry with your favorite browser. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer talking about the 2023 Cancer in Iowa report for the remainder of the hour. And uh, it's uh, the director of the Iowa Cancer Registry, Mary Charlton, with us, if you've just joined us. Uh, Mary, before we go in-depth on some of the aspects of this year's report, the highlights, uh, walk us through the highlights. Give us a brief overview of what you're bringing uh, out uh, mm-hmm. as of uh, this report. Well, I thought what was really interesting in comparing 2023 to 1973 that kind of presents some themes here is that we have the almost the exact same number of cancer deaths in 2023 that we did back in 1973. The difference is, is that we're recording almost double the number of cancer cases that we did back in 1973. So it's kind of good news, bad news. We have a lot more cancer among Iowans, 
but a much smaller percent of Iowans are dying from cancer. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you? Well, I think it tells us that we're getting better at screening and treatment and things like that once people are diagnosed, but that we're not doing as well on the preventive measures to stop cancer from happening in the first place. Mm-hmm. Iowa, I see in the, the report, Iowa, the only state with a significant increase in cancer incidence from 2015 to 2019 and the second highest overall cancer incidence of all U.S. states. I read that and I'm alarmed. Mm-hmm. I was alarmed as well, and I was surprised. You know, we've kind of been creeping up the ranks, and then we jumped up to number two, and it was very concerning. Uh, And I've spent the last few months really trying to figure out how can that be? How in Iowa could we possibly have the second highest uh, rate of new cancers in the country? And I have not, other than seeing that we're across the board high on lots of different cancer types, um, have not been able to pinpoint any sort of smoking gun for that. Mm -hmm. Other highlights quickly before we dig into them? Yeah, well, we estimate there'll be about 20,800 new cancers this year. That's an increase of 800 from last year, and uh, that there will be approximately 6,200 cancer deaths among Iowans in 2023, which is a decrease of 100 from last year. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, uh, okay, l- let's let's turn t- uh, to um, our breast cancer surgeon here in our studio, Dr. Ingrid Lizarraga. Um, Tell us, uh, when you have this sort of data in the registry available, how do you use it? How can it be used uh, to, um, to um, lessen the incidence of breast cancer or attack it in another way? Uh, thank you for that question. Um, I think that that information is useful in a number of different ways. So, so as a breast cancer doctor, seeing those numbers helps me to tell patients, you know, you really do need to get your mammogram because breast cancer is rising in the state. Um, and we know that the survival from breast cancer in Iowa is quite good. It's, it's 90% or higher, uh, but it, it really is uh, dependent on stage at diagnosis. And so, you know, getting your mammogram for an early diagnosis um, and being aware of your breasts so that if you have a problem, you come in for an early diagnosis and, are important. And, and, and Diane was a perfect example of that. She noticed a very small lump. What did she say, half a centimeter or something like that? It was off to the side under her arm, thought, oh, this is a swollen lymph node. We have those when we get sick, right? Fortunately, she had it checked out, right? So that's just, and it was an aggressive cancer. Exactly. And, and Diane said words that I hear all the time, which is, I don't have it in my family. How could this happen to mm-hmm. me? But breast cancer is common. It's the commonest cancer in women. And so You know, if you have breasts, you can get breast cancer. And and if you feel something, you should get it checked out. Mm -hmm. And the data bears that out. I understand your work is also uh, involves rural versus urban populations. How so? Yes, I'm I'm interested in um, the kind of care that rural patients get. So I I used to be a rural doctor. I was a general surgeon in Burlington for about the, the first five years of my career. And I know that rural hospitals face challenges that larger hospitals do not. There are far fewer resources. Doctors are, are doing a wide range of, of uh, disease care. Um, and so rural hospitals take care of a lot of patients in our mm-hmm. state, and they require more resources and assistance. And so I've um, used the registry to help understand where the gaps are for rural patients. You know, rural patients may not get quite the same care. Sometimes they don't have the same access to radiation and certain types of surgery. Um, 
and are use, we're using the cancer registry data to help support projects to improve cancer care in rural communities. Yeah, and we know from other coverage of, through uh, Iowa Public Radio and other media that rural hospitals are really in financial straits now. So that that complicates this the situation, doesn't it, Doctor? It's an incredibly complicated situation. So rural hospitals really face workforce shortages as well. So they don't have as much money. They have trouble recruiting and retaining doctors, and that makes it really hard to deliver the kind of care that they want. Most patients in Iowa, you know, that live in rural communities don't want to travel 60 miles to come and see a doctor, and some may not have the resources to do it. So really, it's imperative to try and support the care at the community level if we're going to be able to support care for these patients. If you'd like to join our conversation as we discuss uh, the latest uh, uh, cancer in Iowa report, one eight six six seven eighty ninety one hundred. River to River at iowapublicradio.org is our email. Perhaps you have a question about treatment or research, prevention, or you'd like to share your cancer survival story. One eight six six seven eighty ninety one hundred. Doctor Weiner, we've had you on many years. So. Uh, for this annual report, and I'd like to get, uh, what do you want to bring out, uh, emphasize right now that hasn't been about this latest Cancer in Iowa report? Well, first of all, thanks for having me back. It's um, When we tend to think about cancer research, you might think about uh, uh, somebody in a white coat working with cells or genes, or you might think about a clinical trial. But the type of research supported by the registry is equally important. It's wonderful for us to make discoveries about what causes cancer and how we can treat it. But if those advances don't get to the people where they live, they're not serving the purpose that they're really intended to do. One of the things we use the registry for extensively is to look at the burden of cancer in different communities and to use that information to figure out how we can actually help those communities based on the knowledge about cancer we already have. Mm. So that's a vital part of the, the cancer research that we do at the Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center. Mm-hmm. And it seems like when these reports come out, and Mary, you describe some of the, the highlights, that it, it raises a lot of questions. It's like a, a glowing neon sign that says, look here, find out about me here, question mark, question mark, question mark. Right, Dr. Weiner? That's correct. Um, and it also points to areas that, that we need to invest in. Uh, an example would be HPV vaccination. Through basic research many years ago, we figured out how this virus can get into a cell and over many years cause it to become cancerous. Yeah. In, in fact, there's an email. I ask you, however many of you want to comment on this, from Marilee is listening uh, exactly on this point. Uh, she writes, we must be continually educating everyone that many strains of cancer can be prevented with HPV vaccine. More young people can and should be getting vaccinated. Parents need to be more, made more aware of the ability to prevent some cancers in this, with this vaccination. I'm in my fifth year in dealing with having cancer that developed from an HPV infection, writes uh, Marilee. Please vaccinate the youth, exclamation point. I am surviving, but I have been through two and a half years of chemotherapy. I've had to have major surgery. I've had months of external and internal radiation treatment. That from Marilee. So, yeah, to your point, doctor. That's exactly the point I was going to make. Now, I would have really preferred if she, if she had gotten the vaccine, she wouldn't have had to write that email. Yeah. And um, so the the important thing to do is to take the information we have, 
to learn from the burden of cancer that's illustrated by this report yeah. and to do something about it as a society and as individuals. Yeah. We should each look at how we can reduce the risk of getting cancer based on our own behaviors. Yeah, and, and we have to make sure this is another one of many areas where we have to pay attention to the science. So much of our politics is mixed up in our science these days, including HPV vaccine. Mary, I don't know if you had a comment about that, but yeah. when in doubt, uh, listen to what well-qualified medical professionals have to say about getting the vaccine for your youngster, your, your, your youth and your family. And that's absolutely correct. And another point I wanted to make, uh, and to Mary Lee and, and Dr. Wiener's point, is that head and neck cancer, oral pharyngeal cancer, which is you know kind of in your oral cavity and throat, Iowa is now the has the number one highest rate in the country of that type of cancer, and a third of those cancers are caused by the HPV virus, and and we are number one. Does that point to a lack of sufficient public policy to? get? I mean, can you match that up with vaccination rates among our youth? Well, uh, unfortunately, the vaccines haven't been around long enough that that, that would be, uh, that they could have prevented that, uh, unfortunately. So, um, but they're available now, I think is Dr. Wiener's point. So um, while we can't say this vaccination rate translates into this rate, we can say if they wouldn't, if you didn't have exposure to HPV or you had the HPV vaccine, you would not get HPV-related cancer. Uh, and hopefully we we will not be number one if we can get our vaccine rates. Uh, Dr. Wiener. I mean, what we do today is going to make the numbers five to 10 years from now look much better. So one thing that's important to recognize at the registry is it really tells us a lot about what we did several years ago. And so can there's a lag time. There's a lag time. OK. Uh, but that that really does speak to why policy today that's based on science will make these numbers better in the future. Okay, we're coming up on a break, but I think we can squeeze in Cindy from Des Moines. No, let's let's wait on that, uh, Ingrid, um, the doctor. Uh, you have to go, I know, and uh, we've got about a minute before break, uh, Dr. Uh, Lizaraga. Uh, your final comment, because I know you have to get back to the hospital. I do. I just wanted to add on to what Dr. Wiener is saying. We're very lucky in Iowa to have a registry like this. Not every state has a high-quality registry like Iowa does, and we get a lot of important data on the trends in Iowa. So we should use that to inform our policies and what we do to help bring these rates back down. Okay. Dr. Lizaraga, thank you very much. And we'll say goodbye for now and have you get back uh, to the hospital. Thank you for spending time with us. And uh, if you have a, a, a take on cancer, perhaps you have a cancer survival story or a question about cancer, uh, we have uh, 20 more minutes of our conversation to go. And uh, let's just throw out uh, this question when we come back we'll get it answered gary in davenport asks can men especially obese men get breast cancer are men in the iowa cancer statistics for breast cancer he asks we'll get an answer to that when we come back it's river to river from ipr news This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.
Back with more of River to River from IPR News, I'm Ben Kiefer talking about the 2023 Cancer in Iowa report uh, with the Cancer Registry Director, uh, Mary Charlton, Dr. George Weiner with us as well, Director of the UI Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center. And uh, you can join us with your question uh, about cancer, any aspect of cancer. I think we can field any of those questions, one 780 9100 or River to River at iowapublicradio.org. Gary in Davenport wants to know, can men, especially obese men, get breast cancer? Are men in the Iowa cancer statistics for breast cancer? Who wants to answer that? Dr. Weiner? Sure. Um, yes, men can get breast cancer. Uh, it is quite uncommon. It's maybe 2 to 3% of all breast cancers occur in men. It is more common in obese men. And it's also more common in men who have breast cancer in their family. As a matter of fact, my my uncle had a male breast cancer. Um, And so it's something that that we keep our eyes on and uh, watch out for. It is rare enough that it is not identified in the registry as a separate category, uh, which reports uh, focuses on female breast cancer. Okay, let's go to Fairfield Onanda. I hope I got your name right. Welcome to the program. Hello? Yes, hello. Is this Ananda, if I'm correctly pronouncing yes. your name? Yes. Welcome to the program. Yes. You're on live. Go ahead, please. Thank welcome. you. Um, I just wanted to ask what the feeling was on the water quality in Iowa and the nitrates that have been skyrocketing over the years um, and what impact that has on the cancer rate. Okay. Yeah, we have a number of questions about diet and the, what we take in uh, to our bodies. Uh, Mary Charlton, can you tackle that one, please? Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of research going on now to look at the, the um, association between water quality and cancers. Uh, what we do know is that drinking water with a large amount of arsenic has been linked to skin, bladder, and lung cancers. Uh, and as I said, studies continue to examine the relationships between things like pesticides, other pollutants, and cancer. There's not a lot of conclusive evidence right now that it's something like the water quality that is driving up our cancer incidence, but it's certainly a possibility and certainly uh, warrants a lot more research. Okay, thank you, Ananda from Fairfield. Cindy is joining us from Des Moines. Hi, Cindy. What's on your mind as we discuss the 2023 Cancer in Iowa report? Hi. Um, I had a comment. Um, When I was uh, younger, I had a patch on my leg that I just thought was real uh, different. And the doctor, the dermatologist didn't think it was cancer because it didn't look like everybody else's. But I just um, had him uh, do a biopsy and it turned out to be uh, melanoma stage four. So I think everybody's, there's a lot of uh, differences. So you really can't just say one is uh, cancer and one isn't. I think you have to really kind of know yourself that it, when something isn't right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you had that checked out and and you're cancer-free at this point, Cindy? Yes, yes. Excellent. Uh, they did surgery. Um I I just wondered, um, can I say one more thing? Please. Um, When I was young, I had like a a little growth inside my leg. And when I was going to tell my mom about it, it it went away. But later, when I was older, that was where my cancer was. Hmm. So I'm wondering if that growth could have just 
uh, went into my leg. Interesting question, Cindy. Let's get it. Let's get an answer for you from Dr. Weiner. Can that happen? Well, it's hard to know based on this story. Certainly, we know that melanomas can emerge from other pigmented spots on the skin that can come and go. Melanoma is uh, one of those cancers that incidence is going up, and it really is directly related to exposure to sun. It's also a cancer where we're making great progress from a therapy point of view. So it's sort of a good news, bad news. The good news is we're better at treating it. The bad news is it's becoming more common because of... uh, of uh, the need for better uh, sun protection. Yeah, and, and Mary outlined, because this is figures as one of the highlights in, the, in, in this latest report, Iowa ranking in the top five U.S. states for melanoma. Mm-hmm. What, what can you tell us about that? Well, it's so interesting, too, when you look at a map of Iowa and you look at melanoma rates by county, a lot of times we see higher cancer rates in that southern tier of counties in Iowa, but mm. this is one where we actually see it in the northern tiers um, of Iowa where we see higher rates of melanoma. And we always, uh, of course, associate skin cancer with the sun. Is that the cause of skin cancer? Can there be other contributing factors? I mean, if we um, get our uh, sunblock on, are we doing all we can do to prevent melanoma? Mm -hmm. I think limiting sun exposure, using sunscreen, and avoiding tanning beds are the main things that we can do um, to avoid melanoma. But my, I guess my theory about maybe why it's higher in the n- northern part of the state is you have a lot of, I guess if I, I think of the people at Nordic Fest, <laughs> you know, up in Decorah, that's a lot of light-skinned, like fair-skinned people. And so I think um, people with really fair skin are, are at increased risk mm-hmm. of getting melanoma as well. Yeah. Back to the, the, the question that we had, uh, Cindy, from Des Moines about discovering something in her youth, and then it happened to be the same spot that cancer turned up, I guess it sounds like decades ago. Uh, do we, are we teaching kids? Should we be teaching kids about self-examination, uh, swelling, and things like that? Is, is that something a, a, a general uh, practitioner would be alerted to uh, as youth, or, or is that just sort of too many question marks there? Well, what I, I think we should encourage people to do is if they see a spot on their skin that is changing, yep. uh, if they see a spot that is regularly bleeding, uh, they should bring it to the attention of their physicians. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really identifying changes and, and then going to a professional uh, that is what we would recommend. Jane in Emmitsburg is following up on our discussion about the HPV vaccine. Uh, specifically, Jane asks, what does Dr. Weiner think of the Iowa legislators considering bills that HPV and vaccine cannot be mentioned in public school classrooms? Well, um, I'm not going to speak from a political point of view, but from a scientific point of view, we know that HPV vaccines work if they are given before there is exposure to HPV. And we know that if we immunize our youth now, we will reduce pain and suffering from cancer in future years. Mm -hmm. So from my medical point of view, we should be doing everything we can to educate young people as well as their parents about the value of the HPV vaccine. Mm -hmm. Lisa writes in an email, uh, we'd like you to speak to the importance of testing homes and workplaces for radon 
in preventing cancer. Now, um, many will know, I certainly know, I have a radon mitigation system in my home. I've had it on for, what, 15 years. Radon, Iowa is uh, the... I think the highest risk or next to the highest risk state where uh, these gases uh, come from uh, the earth into our homes. And we need to check. If you haven't done a radon check on your home, do it, right, Dr. Weiner? I agree. And I, like you, have a mitigation system in my own home when we found the levels were high. Uh, radon is a natural occurring gas that is odorless and colorless. Uh, but long-term exposure to radon is next to tobacco smoke the, the greatest cause of lung cancer. Right. And as you, as you said, Iowa has the highest rates of radon in the country. So people should get their homes tested. It's very inexpensive to test. And then the mitigation systems are quite straightforward as well. Mary, I wanted to ask you before our hour gets away from us uh, to reflect on the 50 years of collecting data, disseminating cancer information in Iowa through the Iowa Cancer Registry as its director. What are your reflections? Um, you had one reflection earlier in the hour about you know going back to 1973. Uh, what else can you glean from five decades of collecting and disseminating data? Yeah, it's just so interesting how things have changed uh, and, and how many things have stayed the same <laughs> throughout that whole time. Um, it's becoming, uh, we're being asked to collect more and more variables um, for each cancer case, and it shows how far we've come in things like precision medicine, where it's really important to know the subtype or the molecular mutation or all different things about cancers um, to really understand their prognosis better, their treatments better. And so I think just the the world of cancer research is exploding, and, and we're being asked to collect more and more data to support that, which is really important to us. Mm -hmm. Let's go to perhaps our last caller. Let's see. Kate is in Iowa City. Hi, Kate. Coming up at the end of our hour, chip in something. What do you have to, to say today? Well, okay. I'll try to say this really quickly. Um, when my mom was 82, she had a headache and some, you know, she had forgetfulness, stuff like that, went to a hospital, and they basically attributed it to old age. Luckily, the hospitalist was someone who was a family doctor who knew her and said, you're not usually like this. Let her get the full test. Turned out she had large B-cell brain cancer. Um, and then the... Mm. Like, let's not worry about it, basically, you're old enough kind of thing. But we went to a holistic doctor, and he did normal treatment with surgery and radiation, but also holistic diet things, and she's still alive seven years later. Wonderful. Um, and so... I have a question kind of about, I know that we also don't want to treat people and just keep them alive to keep them alive, but where is Iowa in terms of blending holistic with, with regular medicine and also treating the aged as our state is aging? Very good questions, uh, Kate. Uh, can we do that quickly? Dr. Weiner? I think you're volunteering for that one. Well, I, I think as cancer specialists, we always need to remember we're not treating the cancer, we're treating the patient. And you have to look at where the patient is in life's journey, what's important to them, what are the treatments we have available. And in, in order to do that, you have to look at the patient as a whole. And so I'm a full supporter of holistic approaches. I think we don't want to forget about the advances science also provides. And so we need to combine a holistic approaches with scientific, molecularly-driven opportunities and select the best pay treatment for each individual patient. Mm -hmm. 
In this year's State of the Union address, President uh, Joe Biden returned to a proposal he has pitched before, and I know the University of Iowa is um, involved with uh, cutting cancer death rates by at least 50% in the next 25 years. His so-called cancer moonshot, of course, uh, the loss of his son, one of his sons, uh, well-known through this. Let's listen to what he had to say, a couple minutes of what he had to say in the State of the Union address. Uh, Let's listen to our President Joe Biden. Last year, Jill and I reignited the cancer moonshot that I was able to start with President Obama asked me to lead our administration on this issue. Our goal is to cut the cancer death rates at least by 50 percent in the next 25 years, turn more cancers from death sentences to treatable diseases, provide more support for patients and their families. It's personal to so many of us, so many of us in this audience. Joining us, Morris and Candice are an Irishman and the daughter of immigrants from Panama. They met and fell in love in New York City and got married in the same chapel Jill and I got married in New York City. Kindred spirits. He wrote us a letter about his little daughter, Ava, and I saw her just before I came over. She was just a year old when she was diagnosed with rare kidney disease, cancer. After 26 blood transfusions, 11 rounds of radiation, eight rounds of chemo, one kidney removed, given a 5% survival rate. He wrote how, in the darkest moments, he thought, if she goes, I can't stay. Many of you have been through that as well. Jill and I understand that, like so many of you. And he read Jill's book describing our family's cancer journey and how we tried to steal moments of joy where we could with both. For them, that glimmer of joy was the half-smile of their baby girl. It meant everything to them. They never gave up hope. Little Ava never gave up hope. She turns four next month. They just found out Ava's beating the odds, is on her way to being cured of cancer. And she's watching from the White House tonight if she's not asleep already. A few weeks ago from the State of the Union address, uh, President Biden uh, there, of course. As we wind up this show, uh, Dr. Weiner, there's an inspiring story. As we look forward, what are your thoughts? Well, it's inspiring. And importantly, the data from the cancer registry is just numbers. What we use that data to do is to help individual people, like Diane Anderson we heard about today, mm-hmm. like the, the young child that President Biden was speaking about. The future is really bright. And I think that his goal of, uh, as outlined in the moonshot, is achievable. If we stay focused and continue to make new discoveries and make sure those discoveries get to the people who need them. And the University of Iowa is involved in this cancer moonshot? We are. We're involved in research all the way from the very basic research into the nature of cancer through clinical trials, uh, uh, through uh, doing population studies and figuring out how to get the right treatment to the right patient at the right time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Charlton, uh, director of the Iowa Cancer Registry, uh, what uh, thoughts do you want to leave us with as, as we finish up this hour? Yeah, just um, probably kind of boring, boring advice, <laughs> but, you know, really getting back to screening. One of the reasons that our, our death rate has gone down so much is because we're able to detect cancers earlier when they're treatable and they're less, um, you know, less profoundly 
awful, like the, the person that called in about having to have two years of radiation and chemotherapy and things like that. If you get it early, sometimes they can take it out with just surgery or some minor yeah. treatment and you can live a long, long life. So screening, eat a healthy, healthy diet, a bunch of fruits and vegetables, um, be active. Doesn't mean you have to sweat it out and be pumping iron, but just be active yeah. um, and avoid alcohol uh, or limit <laughs> alcohol right. to a reasonable amount and stay away from smoking and tobacco. Yeah, and we're learning so many things can be connected with cancer, the stress in our lives, diet, exercise, Dr. Weiner. Um, it's it's hard. Is it, I mean, lifestyle issues, almost everything uh, can be sometimes traced back to cancer as a cause, as a factor, can it? Yeah, um, and there's no magic bullet. So you can do everything right and still get cancer, but your odds are better if you live a healthy lifestyle. Uh, and so uh, I, for one, obviously would like to reduce my risk of, of getting cancer as much as possible. Uh, and I do that by, by trying to live a, a healthy lifestyle and get my screening done, et cetera. Okay. Thank you very much uh, for being with us, Dr. George Weiner, uh, director of the University of Iowa Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center, and Mary Charlton. Associate Professor of Epidemiology, Director of the State Health Registry of Iowa and the Iowa Cancer Registry. Mary, Dr. Weiner, thank you very much for this hour. Thank you. River to River today, produced by Caitlin Troutman. Catherine Perkins is our executive producer. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us. ¶¶